So, yeah, so we're moving into chapter 3 of Ephesians. So what I thought I would do just before we dive in is just remind ourselves on what we've learned so far. So if you remember, Chuck came a few weeks ago and he talked about chapter 1, the start of the, the, the letter. And that was, he explained to us that the Christians in Ephesus had every spiritual blessing. And we as believers are likewise blessed by God. And he explained there's three types of blessings. The first one is security. We're blessed with security. We are adopted. We're part of his family. And that's forever. We've been given sonship. And that's the highest possible status. And this was predestined for us. In other words, God chose us. We didn't choose him. Secondly, we were blessed with freedom. We spend a lot of our lives trying to break the things that have a hold of us. And through Jesus, we can gain freedom from the things that hold us. And thirdly, we're blessed with purpose. And I'm going to mention a bit more about purpose later. However, despite that, the, the Ephesian Christians, they had every spiritual blessing. They had the Holy Spirit residing within them. But they still didn't actually understand what that really meant for them. They didn't fully understand what God was making available to them. So we we learned that the fullness of knowledge of God is gained through a personal acquaintance. By knowing him more, we know that there's so much more available for us. More hope, more riches, more power. And then Ali shared about prior to knowing God, we were dead we were condemned, subject to God's wrath. But, but in and through Christ, he's brought us to life again. He's taken our brokenness and put us back together. God is the artist, and we are his masterpiece. And then we learned through Christ, the divide between Gentile and Jew had been removed. The barriers were broken. And all who belong to Christ have a common bond, which is deeper and stronger than any of the former differences. So that's a wee recap for us all. So let's just start reading the passage. So it's Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13, and the words are going to come up on the screen. So we'll just get, we'll just get stuck in. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden 
in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Amen. So, um, so the passage starts with Paul reminding the Ephesians he's a prisoner for the Gentiles' sake. And then there's a, a pause. We notice there's a dash in Scripture. So Paul was originally at this point going to pray for them, but he stops. The next part, that's verses 2 to 13, are a bit of an aside almost, um, like it's in brackets, contained within itself. However, I want to start with that opening line. And um, verse 1, before we delve into the mysteries of verses 2 to 13. And like all good mysteries, you know, we all like a good mystery, don't we? But often, you know, a mystery, a story in a film, we sometimes miss something right at the start. So let's just look at the first part of this. So it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, then a dash. So I think, for me, this whole sentence really just outlines his position and is the calling that God has placed on his life. You know, he doesn't say he's a prisoner of the authorities, which he, he undoubtedly is, for preaching to the Gentiles. But rather, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. However, this is a different kind of prisoner. He's a willing prisoner to Jesus. And this is complete and utter servanthood. His life held captive by the cause of Jesus and his church. That's Christ's church which included Gentiles as equals. You know, previously in chapter 2, Paul had taught us that Jesus had abolished the law of the commandments and he created a single humanity in place of the two and reconciled both to God. There was no longer a barrier. In Jesus, the Jews and the Gentiles find themselves more than fellow citizens under his rule. They are together children in his family. And because of this preaching, Paul finds himself under house arrest in Rome, awaiting sentence. But this doesn't stop him continuing the work that God had planned him to do. He can still write. He continues unabated by his circumstances. And maybe for us, we need to think about how, how God can use us in our current circumstances or situation. You know, we, we may be putting it off or avoiding what God is calling us to do because of where we're at. In the lead up to the Apollo missions, President John F. Kennedy was visiting NASA. And while touring the facility, he introduced himself to a janitor. Who was just, he was just mopping the floor. And he asked him, what did he do at NASA? And the janitor replied, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Now, the janitor got it. He understood the mission and his part in it. He had perspective, which gave him purpose. 
You know, Paul had perspective. For although he was sat in a prison in Rome, tied to a Roman guard, he determined he was still on mission. He was a servant of God, and he realized Christ could work no matter what the situation he was in. And that's what I call perspective. You know, I don't know about you, sometimes I often find I can only serve God when things are going well, when the situation is going as I expected. But Paul said, even as a prisoner, I see how Christ is using me. It's all a matter of perspective. You know, are we totally committed to Jesus and his church? Do we put barriers in the way? Which, when maybe these barriers only magnify what can be done in these situations. And I'm reminded of the verse in Scripture which says, Give thanks in all circumstances. I think what Paul is saying here goes slightly further to let's serve Jesus and work out his calling in and on our life in all circumstances. I saw somebody yesterday wearing a t-shirt with Homer Simpson. It was a picture of Homer Simpson lying on a sofa. I bet you've not heard uh, Homer Simpson mention in a talk before. But, um, so he was lying on a sofa and the, the, with the words beneath it saying, please let someone else do it. <laughs> you know, let's not fall into this trap and hope someone else will step in and serve Jesus instead of us. Or instead of you. That's not how it's supposed to work. Let's not press the pause button and wait for a less busy day. Let's just do it, just like the Nike slogan. And that's my first point, is that God wants us to be committed to being a wholehearted servant of Jesus, regardless of the circumstances. So, let's move on to the rest of the passage, and we can start looking at the mystery and how it was revealed to Paul. And in this, the, 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 my bullet point here is God wants us to be committed to leaning in and hearing his revelations. Now, as I said, I, we all love a good mystery, me included, where you look for clues along the way which help you figure out who done it. However, the word for mystery here in this passage, the Greek, has a different meaning to the English word mystery. In Greek, it is mysterion. I'm hoping that's how you pronounce it. But originally, in the Greek, the word referred to a truth into which someone had been initiated. In this case, the mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, hidden from human knowledge, are now disclosed by the revelation of God. So no amount of the super sleuths or detectives from Sherlock Holmes to Hercule Poirot to Glasgow's Taggart could have solved this one. The mystery was revealed directly to Paul from God in God's perfect timing. And also, as we see in verse 5, to God's holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what was the mystery that was revealed? What was brought out into the open that God had planned all along? Paul spells it out in verse 6. 
How would the Gentiles, our fellow heirs together with Israel, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel? God's purpose in Christ was to make a new body of believers. It would be both Jew and Gentile, making one body united, a unique creation with Jesus, the charter, the body of Christ. God's wisdom and grace is going to be experienced by this body called the church. You know, at the time, this would have been shocking and disturbing. The thought of Gentiles being on an equal basis, an equal spiritual basis with the Jew was inconceivable, nothing short of blasphemy. For the Gentiles to join the covenant community, it was revolutionary and unprecedented. They became heirs with the Jews. They are equally blessed as outsiders becoming fully insiders. You know, in this part of the world, we have a, a local dialect called Doric. I'm sure one or two of you are familiar with it. Anyway, there's a Doric phrase for everything. Glekit, drich, piliwali, and fantouche are, my, are amongst my favourites. Anyway, there's a Doric phrase for someone who's moved into an area from somewhere else. An inabooter. And probably a large um, number of us here are inabooters. We're not local. And sometimes it can take years, even decades, to be accepted and fully part of the community. This isn't the case with the church, as Paul describes it. Outsiders have become fully insiders. You know, what Paul is declaring is that Gentile and Jewish Christians together are now fellow heirs of the same blessing, fellow members of the same body, and fellow partakers of the same promise. To sum up, complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Jesus. And you know, this wasn't a new revelation. It was, it was not made, sorry, this was a new revelation. It was not made known in other generations, as it said in verse 5, and was hidden for ages, verse 9. And this might be slightly puzzling to us, to why such a big thing, but remember, we have the benefit of this revelation. We've, we've read it. And, but we can see that God did reveal in the Old Testament that he had a plan for the Gentiles. Promised that all families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's lineage, and that was in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, that the Messiah would receive the nations as his inheritance, Psalm 2, verse 8, that Israel would be given as a light to the nations, that one day the nations would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and even flow to it like a mighty river. And it was also known in the Old Testament that the Gentiles would receive salvation. That's in Isaiah 49.6. Within the New Testament, Jesus spoke of the inclusion of the Gentiles. He commissioned his fellow followers to go and make, make disciples of all nations. But what neither the Old Testament nor Jesus revealed was the radical nature of God's plan 
the Jewish nation under God's rule ended and replaced by a new international community, the church. And that, you know, that's why we sit here today. God, still in the, God today is still in the business of revelation. He reveals and makes more of himself known to us, more of his plans and purposes, more of what breaks his heart. You know, if I look back when I first became a Christian, when I first began my journey with God, I realized I was in the Janet and John stage. Let me explain. My first reading books at school were Janet and John. That was my level of ability and understanding. But as I grew in learning and ability to, re- to read, I progressed to things like Treasure Island, bit of an adventure. Then on to my favourites, Mysteries, I, The Hardy Boys, and Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators. I've seen a few blank faces, but uh, <laughs> go home and Google them. They are real. <laughs> but I think just through these books, it just opened up and stretched my imagination, understanding and knowledge, and it's possibly, possibly why I still love mysteries. But getting back to the point, this is just like my journey with God. My understanding of him at the beginning was basic. As I journeyed with him, reading the Bible, through prayer, quiet times, he reveals more of himself, more of his nature, more of his mysteries are unraveled. You know, I know there's still so much more, and my heartfelt prayer is, Lord, reveal more of yourself to me. And believe me, he wants to reveal more of himself to me and to you. The thing is, are you positioning yourself or posturing, posturing yourself to enable that to happen? How good are we at listening to God? Brenda would say, I, have, I suffer from selective deafness. But, but I think to be the best husband I can be, I need to listen more carefully. And this can definitely be said about God, me listening to God. I was kind of thinking of an analogy, thinking of uh, radios. You know, nowadays we have digital radios. You press a button and it just goes straight to the station. But a lot of us will remember analog radios where you had a, you, you turned a dial to tune into the radio station. And in between the radio stations, you would hear hissing and crackling until you found the next station. Sometimes I think listening to God can be like the analog radio where we need to tune in to hearing his voice. But I think fundamentally we need to be more like Paul, just to lean in and hear God's revelation for us and for others. So my next point is uh, God wants us to be committed to taking up the calling on our lives. You know, when um, Paul became a servant of the gospel, God gave him the ability to share <clears throat> effectively the gospel of Jesus. And I think likewise, God will give us the opportunities to tell others about Jesus. And with these opportunities, he will provide us with the ability, courage, and power. Whenever and wherever the opportunity presents itself, make yourself available to God as his servant, like, just like Paul. 
And another thing to know is that God equips the called, not the other way round. Sometimes we have to step out into God's calling, even when we feel totally unqualified and experienced and trust God. And this is certainly true of me standing here today in doing this. You know, Paul describes himself less than all the least of all God's people. He knows that without, without God's help, he would never be able to do God's work. Yet God chose him to, to share the gospel with the Gentiles and gave him the power to do it. You know, interestingly, Paul's name means humble or small. And his whole ministry was from a place of humility and dependence on God. So my question for you now is, how does God want to use you? What part has God got you to play in his plan? You know, God has a place in his plan for for you. What is the divine call in your life? You know, we need to be committed, like Paul, to to taking up the calling on our lives, our place in his plan. You think of it like an orchestra. It wouldn't work if it was all trombones or all flutes. We all need, we, no, we need every different instrument to enable the orchestra to produce the very best symphony. In the same way, we all need to be playing our part by taking up the calling on our lives. And the final point is God wants us to be committed to his cause and the church. And I think a major lesson of, uh, of this chapter in Ephesians is the biblical centrality of the church. In verse 10 it says, God's intent was that now, through the church, that's us, God's manifold wisdom will be made known. You know, however, for some people, the Christianity consists entirely of a personal relationship with Jesus. Virtually nothing to do with church. Some people have become disenfranchised with church. And, you know, we've seen that from the sad statistics of the, the public showing the rapid decline in church membership in Scotland, for, for example. But the great thing, however, God has not abandoned his church. He's still building it, still refining it. And we've personally experienced this at City Church. So if God has not abandoned the church, how can we? You know, we see from this passage the church has a central place in his plan. And through the church, God's manifold wisdom will be made known. The Greek word for manifold means many coloured and was used to describe flowers, crowns, embroidered cloth and woven carpets. The simpler form of the word was used in Genesis when describing the coat of many colours which Jacob gave his youngest son, Joseph. So the church, as a multiracial, multicultural community, is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colourful backgrounds. No other community resembles it. Its, Its diversity and harmony are unique. 
the many-coloured worship of the sorry the many-coloured fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-coloured wisdom of God. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ is the most important institute in the world, and we as a church have a responsibility to reveal God's wonderful mystery to the world we live in. We well, haven't to keep this mystery to ourselves. We need to speak out the good new- and share the good news with those who don't know it. A year ago, I was at a leaders' strategy meeting, and we were each asked to look at a number of picture cards that were out on a table, and um, we were basically just asked to choose one that we were attracted to. And this is the one that I was attracted to. And the thing about it was a couple of things. First thing is you can see is a clear destination in sight. Clear objectives. Clear objective, that was to reach the summit. The other thing that attracted me was there was a group of individuals clearly working together to achieve their goal. They were roped together. To ensure, and that, you know, that ensured if one slipped, the others would be there to help out. No one gets left behind. On the back of each card was a a text which went with a picture. And my text was entitled Purpose. And it said, Purpose defines who we are, what we stand for and why we're here. It's an expression of our highest calling. Discovering your purpose is one of those light bulb moments when you know intuitively you've uncovered something very deep and emotionally important to you. From then, you can use it to guide your life like a moral compass. Knowing your purpose enables you to constantly navigate on true north. So going back to the passage, Paul refers to his ministry to the Gentiles as a stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Paul was entrusted with the message of grace. Paul was expected to convey that message to the people of Ephesus. Paul believed he existed solely to serve Christ. That was his purpose in life. And I think we need to look to Paul as as our example. We need to be committed to God's cause and his church. I think, you know, at the start of my talk, I explained how Paul used every opportunity and resource available to him to share the gospel message, no matter what the circumstances he found himself to be in. And our challenge as a church is to do the same. And I've got a wee challenge for you now. You know, we all, we all know how things, we've all seen how things go viral on the internet. Somebody's post something unusual, and within hours it's just spread like wildfire. You know, think about how far and fast the news of a new baby travels. We all love to use Facebook and Instagram to share our status a night out with friends, away on holiday. So my challenge to you is regardless of how marvellous a meal you've had out or how amazing a place you've visited on holiday, how about posting some life-changing posts? How about spreading this amazing revelation that was once a mystery and through God's revelation to Paul, the mystery has been revealed? Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's talk up the beauty of Christ's church. 
God's marvellous plan for us has been revealed. Jesus is, is for us all. We are co-heirs, members together in one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something worth shouting about? Good. I was, I was, I was worried there. Good.